Today, we're continuing in our series called Count On It, what God wants you to know. With so many uncertainties in this life, it's good that John specified some things that we can know about ourselves, our world, and our relationship with God. We started with the truth about forgiveness, and I, and I left you with this thought. The truth about forgiveness is that God forgives us totally, completely, and without reservation. We have trouble forgiving ourselves, but God forgives us. And in his forgiveness, his goal is that we learn to walk in the light as he is in the light, to become like him in the process. The subject of week two was the love connection. What we, do, what we know is connected to what we do. And we followed this pro progression. We know that we know him if we obey him. And we don't always obey him, but one of the things that give us, gives us assurance that we know him is our obedience. So we know that we know him if we obey him. Obeying him means that we walk as Jesus walked, and walking as Jesus walked means that we love others. We get outside of ourselves and think about somebody other than ourselves. Last Sunday, we started this subject, the process of transformation, learning to walk like Jesus walked, learning to be what Jesus was. And I said then, I left you with this particular thought that we can know for certain that we're children of God. We can know that. That's not, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to go with the wait till you die, open one eye uh, kind of a, of a thing. We can know right now that we are the children of God and we can know that we have the gift of eternal life. But Becoming like Jesus is a process that goes on throughout this life. That's what the God thing is about in the life of a person after we receive Jesus as Savior. That process starts with a new birth. The Bible talks about being saved and being born again. And it's both motivated by and made possible by the love and the power of God in our lives. He doesn't leave us out there hanging on our own. John also tells us that God's children are manifested by their actions. That is, we are shown to be God's children or proven to be God's children by our actions. Our actions don't make us God's children. Our faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his blood make us his children. But what shows us, manifests us to be his children is our actions. And remember last week I told you that in order to understand 1 John, particularly the passages we're going to look at today, you need to understand uh, who John is writing to. Who, who's his target audience? Uh, John wasn't writing to unbelievers or to seekers, people who were looking around. He wasn't <clears throat> writing to game-playing religious people that were John trying to put on a show. He was writing to born-again, spirit-filled, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and these people were experiencing some crisis situations uh, in their lives. Now, yeah, there are some false teachers among them who are trying to give a hard time. But as I said last week, he wasn't writing to them. He was writing about them. John is writing to a group of dedicated, devoted Christians. They are saved. They are born again. They have the gift of eternal life. They're going to heaven. He assures them of that. There's no doubt about it. And one of his main objectives in writing is to reassure them that that's going to happen, reassure them of their position. Now, here's the problem that we have uh, before we get into the subject. The problem is that some people go to 1 John with questions that he's not answering in this letter. 1 John wasn't written to answer this question, am I really saved? Am I really going to heaven? Uh, John makes it clear that 
they are, these people are going to heaven, right? Regardless of what we read, they are saved, they are going to heaven. Instead, he's answering these questions. Number one is, how can I change? Uh, how can I be more like Jesus? <clears throat> he's talking about transformation. That transformation, remember, is big change. There's a, lot, there's a little change and there's big change and transformation is big change. So that's transformation. That's what it takes to overcome crisis in your life, you know, when you go through those kinds of things. So that, with that in mind, let's read the first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 3. We spent some time with the first three verses last week, so we're not going to do that again, but I just love them, and so we're going to read them again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And we are children. That's the reason we're called. We are. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2, beloved, now, not in the future, not waiting till I open one eye, but now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, when he comes back, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we read some verses about that last week in New Bodies and all that kind of stuff. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope, everyone who looks forward uh, to heaven and Jesus coming back and all that kind of stuff, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Praise God. Rejoice over those kinds of things. But now we get to the ugly possibilities of sin in our lives. Now we kind of get to this reality. There's glory, hallelujah, up here. Then there's reality of what goes on in my life a lot of times. So then he says in verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So we get this stuff, yeah, that it happens in our lives and he says you know, we we minimize sin a lot of times. Uh, sin is breaking God's law. If you break the laws of Escambia County, that's bad enough. You're liable to get a ticket or get put in jail for it, but breaking God's law, that's what sin is all about. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Here's what, one of the things that makes it so bad. You know why Jesus came to start with. Why did he come to this earth, uh, born of a virgin, grew up in that little town uh, in northern Israel, had a rough life, was, uh, was crucified for his trouble. You know that he was manifested to take away our sin. And in him there is no sin. So we can't take sin lightly because Jesus came to save us from sin and there is no sin in him and we're trying to be like him. Those who want to be like Jesus cannot say, yeah, well, I know I got this stuff that goes on in my life, but hey, everybody's got something and this is my thing and it won't really make any difference. No, it's, it's, this whole is different. We're not talking about hammering somebody. We're talking about this God loved us so much that Jesus came to die on the cross for us and we want to be like him because he loves us so much. Verse 6. Now we get into this hard to understand stuff. We're going to be talking more about this today. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Yeah, but John, you said back in chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yeah, he did say that. So we're going to have to see how these two go along with each other. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is, just as God is righteous. 
Verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the, set, uh, of the devil. He came to, to take away our sin and to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, there's another one of these verses we're going to have to look at more closely. Whoever has born of God does not sin, for his or God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. doesn't say he might not sin. It doesn't say you're going to go to hell if he does sin. It just says it's not possible for him to sin because he's been born of God. And the last verse, verse 10, in this the children of God and of the devil are made manifest. Here's how we know. Now, it doesn't make them one or the other, but here's how we can know, how we can see what's going on in people. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor it, it, nor is he who does not love his brother. That's how people show others. The way we live is the way we show others who we are, who we belong to. So we're going to be talking today about, again about the process of transformation, and I'm calling this the battle. Because there's a battle. We just looked at part A last week, right? The start. We, and, and we looked at some wonderful things. But, but there is a battle that's involved in becoming like Jesus on this planet. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the process of transformation, number one, is just this. Transformation involves a battle. It's easy enough to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but becoming like him day by day on this planet, that is not the easiest thing that you will ever do. Remember here, now by the way, that John is writing to Christians, people who have been saved, people who have been born again into the family of God, people who have the gift of eternal life, and he's talking to them about how to live for Jesus in difficult times. That's particularly important when we consider this portion of John's writing that begins with that verse 6, 1 John 3, 6, whoever abides in him does not sin, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And it ends with verse 9, 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed, God's seed remains him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. That statement might trouble you. statement troubles me a little bit. That statement might trouble you because I remember 1 John 1, 8 uh, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It troubles me because before we're saved, before we are born into God's family, we usually don't realize how sinful we are. We think we're pretty good. You know, hey, I don't, you know, I, I talk to mamas. You know, yeah, I know my sin's in prison for murder, but he's really a good boy. You know, that's why we think about, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And then we get saved and we realize what we're really like, you know, selfish, petty, jealous, irresponsible, deceptive. We're just think about ourselves all the time. Before we trusted Christ, those kinds of things didn't bother us. But after we're saved, after we're born into God's family, something happens. The Holy Spirit enters us and, and, and enters our existence and begins convicting us of our sins. And he shows us again and again, day after day, just how much in our lives shouldn't be there. And then we read that verse that says, whosoever has been born of God does not sin for God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now, the reason that might bother us is because there is a war. There's a battle that's going on within us. You know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced the war? Have you experienced the battle? One part of you is tugging one way. Another part of you is tugging 
in another way. There's a battle going on within us. Now, I can tell you as we look at, at that verse that's up there, uh, whosoever has been born of God does not sin, for, he is born, for, he is, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. I can tell you that, uh, of course, the New Testament is written in the Greek language, and I can tell you that that word sin, do, to do sin, is in the present tense, and that many Bible students say it, it's, we're talking about ongoing sin, and therefore, here's the answer, a child of God may stumble into sin. We know we do, right? Now, it's not good, and we can't excuse it, and we say, oh, well, everybody does it. Everybody doing it, so I'll do it. Uh, but according to this explanation, a child of God may stumble into sin, but will not continue, cannot continually go on sinning, sinning, sinning because the Holy Spirit lives within him and convicts him of his sin. And so that's what that's talking about. And, you know, there's, that's true. That's true. You can't just keep on going because if you can just sin without any thought, then the Holy Spirit must not be convicting you of your sin. But I want to tell you another thing, too, about this battle that goes on within you. I believe that when you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is a part of you that is chained right then and right there. It's not this part. You know, this part of me has continued to get old and fat and lose his hair and his eyesight and his hearing and all that kind of stuff. And this did not change. This has not been getting better and better and better since I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But I believe there is a part of me, a part of me that was forever changed, and this will be changed soon. Paul was writing to a church in a city named Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and he said this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart in your wholeness, everything about you. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless or without people being able to bring accusation against you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of different terms used in Scripture to define the different aspects of humans. Paul seems to be talking about the entire human rolled up in these three words as he talks about our spirit, our soul, and our body, or I'm gonna talk about them in a different order. I'm gonna talk about them in the spirit, body, soul uh, order. If that's true, and I believe it is, then the spirit of a person is that part of us that's in direct contact with God's spirit, and I believe is saved completely and changed completely, and never again sins at the point of our salvation. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit moved in with me. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And within me, God's Spirit witnesses with my spirit, that part of me that's different from animals, that part of me that lets me communicate with God, the Spirit. And then I know I have a body, right? You got a body, I got a body, all God's children got a body till we die, and then we don't have one anymore until the resurrection. 
The body is that material part of us that continues to decay, will not be changed until the resurrection. And concerning the sinful nature that we see coming out in the body, that's expressed and remains in the body. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 7, 18, for I know that in me. Now we're talking about the guy that wrote over half the New Testament, right? We're talking about the guy uh, that put himself on the line day after day. He said, I know that in me that is in my flesh. In my fleshly nature, nothing good dwells. There's nothing good about this. There's something that is good about me, but it's not this. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, that is to do the right thing. I have a will, I wanna do the right thing. But how to perform that which is good, I do not find. There's a part of me, my spirit communicating with God's spirit, letting me know I belong to him. But there's a part of me, uh, my fleshly nature, which comes out in this flesh, this body of mine, that doesn't want to do the right thing. And then finally, there's that term soul up there. There's the body, there's the spirit, there's the body, and there's the soul. Now, these words can be used interchangeably, but, but sometimes the word soul is applied to animal life, and it refers to sentient life or conscious life. And, and there are other terms in Scripture that are probably soul or part of soul, uh, things like mind, words like mind and heart and conscience. And this is the part of a person that can be educated, that can be changed here. I think there's a part of us that's perfect and there's a part of us that's, that's gonna be against God as long as we're on this planet and this body. And then there's a battle that takes place between those two and it takes place in the mind, in the soul, in the conscious life. And here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. He says, I say then, Walk in the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life, and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh, this thing that's against God. Follow the Spirit. Strengthen the the influence of the Spirit in your life, and you won't be choosing to do the wrong things all the time. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against, its desires are against. There's a battle going on between flesh and the spirit. And the spirit is against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There are times we want to do the right thing, we don't. Ever had that experience? You want to do the right thing, you don't. You do the wrong thing, you realize you did the wrong wrong thing. Sometimes you know you're doing the wrong thing, you just do it anyway, right? But there's a battle that goes on because I'm not all one. There's a battle within me. There's a part of me that, that is God's and is witnessing with God's spirit. And there's a part of me that is not. When we take this soul part, when we take this mind part, we take this conscience part, we take this heart part, and we spend time with it in God's word and praying to God, when we spend time with God's people, the mind and the conscience are strengthened and the spirit dominates, and we choose to do 
the right thing more than we choose to do the wrong thing. So when we read 1 John 3, 9, whosoever has been born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. We read that and we go, oh, no, oh, man. I don't have a chance here. It's not a threat. It's a promise. That's not a threat. It's a promise that that God is on your side and that you win. He's not trying to make his readers doubt their salvation. He's trying to give them hope. He's saying this, you belong to God. We've already established that. You belong to God. And since you have been born of God, you won't continue in sin. You can be free from the grip of sin because the seed of God remains in you and there's a part of you that desires God and wants God and chooses God and communicates with God. There's a battle that goes on within you. You know it. You've experienced it. Good, evil, spirit, flesh. Now, second thing I want you to notice here about this battle is Jesus has won the battle. (laughs) He takes away your sin. You're still struggling uh, between now and the time you die. Don't think it ever ends, it doesn't. But Jesus has won the battle. First John chapter three, verse five, we read this. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. The word manifested means he was made known, he appeared, he came, he was born of a virgin, grew up in this planet, lived and died to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin at all. That's kind of what John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, described in John chapter one, verse 29. He said the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, look, can you believe it? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came into the world to pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life and live for him on this planet, have abundant life here and go live with him forever in eternity. He came to eradicate our sins, to get them out of our lives. And by the way, he came to not only eradicate or erase the penalty for sin. You know what the penalty for sin is? Hell. He not only took, came to do away with that, he came to erase the presence of sin that, that is in me, that is in my flesh, that causes me to do things that I know I should not be doing. And the, God's idea is this, you be holy because I'm holy. Jesus' idea is you be holy because I'm holy. You be like me, become like me. At the beginning of his letter, John said this, and we've talked about it, First John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then chapter two, verse one, he said this, my little children, we're all that. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you because I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to do the wrong thing. I don't want you to make any excuses for it. Uh, I don't want you to say everybody doing it, so I do it. Uh, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, but when that happens, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. God doesn't throw us away. He advocates for us. He stands for us. The righteousness of Jesus stands for us. Even though John acknowledges the fact that his readers still struggle with sin, he offers them hope by God's power, which is within you. 
you can transform. You can overcome sin in your life. And so 1 John 3, 9 says, whoever or has been born of God does not sin. Doesn't sin on a continual basis, keeps coming back to God. There's a part of me that doesn't sin. For his seed, God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Transformation involves a battle. Jesus has won the battle. And here's the key for you and me as we live this life. Abiding in Christ is the key for us in the battle on this earth. Abiding in Christ is the key to winning the battle and transformation in the here and now. 1 John 3, 6 says this, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. The word abide there, whoever abides in him means whoever remains in him, whoever resides in him. Speaks about being at home in Jesus, dwelling in him, continuing in him. When you are abiding in him, it's hard to abide in him and practice sin. You know, one or the other, but not both. When you're abiding in Jesus, the Holy Spirit convicts your heart of every thought and action that comes between you and God. You can't continue in that thought and action. Your new nature, the life that God is, that is in you will rise up against that. The battle goes on. Now understand, there is a difference between being a Christian and abiding in Christ. There's a difference between being saved and abiding in Christ. There's a difference in being born again and abiding in Christ. You received the gift of eternal life, salvation, when you invited Jesus Christ into your life, when you asked him to forgive your sin, when you placed your trust in him. It's a one-time event. It's an act of God. It's received by faith. But that's not where the God part of our life ends. That's where it begins. Those who have been saved are called to abide in Jesus, live there. You know, Don't just visit every once in a while on Sunday morning, but live there seven days a week. What does it mean to abide in Christ and how do you do it? Well, consider this statement. Abiding in Christ means acknowledging his presence in everything you do. In other words, I know that he's with me all the time every day. I go to work, there he is. I take my piano lesson, there he is. I take my drum lesson, there he is. When I uh, take my wife out to dinner, there he is. Uh, it means acknowledging his presence in everything you do. God is with me, and he, that influences me. And it means yielding to his leadership at every turn. That is, okay, what should I do now? You who are with me all the time, what do I do next? Now, from a practical standpoint, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you figure it out, sometimes you don't. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you just pray and pray and pray and you're reading your study and you get advice and you just do the best you can. And you look back later and you see how God was working at that. But at the time, you weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. John says, no one who lives in him, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning because the seed that God has placed in your life will continue to grow continue to mature, continue to blossom until the image of Jesus Christ fully develops in your life. You are helped in that. You are helped abiding in Christ when you spend time with him every day. 
We talk about that all the time, but it's so simple. When you spend time with him every day, when you talk to him, you acknowledge his presence, you read his word. When you practice regular church attendance, you can't do it on your own. Don't think you can get out there and live for God because you can't. It is not possible. When you get involved in other things like house groups, we're going to do some reorganization in the fall of house groups to make it more convenient for you and more available and more palatable and all those kinds of things for you. So I hope you'll be thinking and praying about that. When you put into practice what you know to do, when you learn this, well, I know I should be doing this, but I think I'm going to wait till I do something else first. No, just do what you know is the right thing to do, and you'll get closer to God. So the process of transformation, it, it involves a battle. And Jesus has won the battle, <clears throat> but you need to abide in Christ in this life if you want to be different tomorrow than you are today. One last thing. We hit this last week. I just thought I'd close with it today. You will be ultimately transformed. There is coming a day when you'll be everything you want to be and more. When you'll be everything God wants you to be. When you will truly be like Jesus. John tells us when that process is going to be finished. It's a process, but 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now. I, have to give, I know I've already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Now, right now, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we see him face to face, we will be like him. Till then, our transformation is a process, a process that God guarantees, predetermines, will be successful, but a process nonetheless. When you struggle with sin, by the way, and you will, you will. You can lie about it if you want to, but the truth is you will struggle. We all struggle with doubt and sin. And when you struggle with sin as a Christian, as a child of God, it's not a question of whether you're in or out of the family. It's a question of whether or not you're living each day in God's presence. We struggle more when we get away from him. Think about this. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, You've been saved. Your struggle with sin is not the result of badness. Oh, no, I'm just so bad. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm struggling with sin. It's the result of awayness. That's not a real word, awayness. But what I'm talking about is you're struggling with getting away from God. You're struggling getting away from your contact with God. You struggle getting away from God's people. You can't live apart from Jesus You'll fall on your face every time you try. Uh, do you want to experience transformation? Then get as close to him as you possibly can and as close to his church and as close to his people as you possibly can. So I know some of those people. <laughs> They're not all that great. That's true. That's true of all of us. But we still need to get together. Make it your habit every day to acknowledge his presence in everything you do and yield to his leadership at every turn. Sometimes we don't know what that is, but just keep going to him. For some people, there's this question that just keeps coming back and beating them up. Am I really saved? Have I really been born again? <clears throat> Am I really going to heaven one day? Is that all real? Did I really mean it when I asked Jesus into my heart? Was I sincere enough? Did I cry enough? Was I emotional uh, enough? Did I do it right? Did it take? 
God is not playing games with us. He doesn't want you to be plagued by doubt. You know, I've got to jump through all these hoops. God is not playing games. The bottom line is this. Here it is. If you invited Jesus into your life and asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are saved. Did you do it? Did you repent enough? If you did it, you are a child of God. There's all kinds of doubts that enter our lives. We could just doubt ourselves right out of existence. But that, that promise didn't come from me. It comes from God. Here's my one, number one verse, the verse I love more than any other verse in scriptures, John's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse 24, where Jesus said this, most assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, that's present tense, has right now everlasting life. John said, now are we children of God, right? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him that sent me has. Right now, present tense, everlasting life. What is everlasting life? It's you and God together forever. You trusted Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit moved in, and he'll never move out again. And when you leave this place, you're going together. Has everlasting life. Shall not come into, into judgment. That means there will never be a time when you will be adjudicated guilty of your sin. People who are adjudicated guilty go to hell or prison. Hell's the worst place. But it's passed from death into life. If you are a child of God, John wrote this chapter to you. Not to gauge the authenticity of your salvation, are you really saved or not, but to gauge the progress that you make in holiness, in being closer to him. John says, Jesus Christ came to take away your sin. Since God's seed is in you, you won't keep doing the wrong thing. You'll become more holy just like Jesus if you abide in him. That means acknowledging his presence in everything you do, yielding to his leadership at every turn. Do this. Acknowledge God's presence. Do the things that you know are the right things to do. And you will begin to see some transformation taking place in your life. Stuff will get better. Uh, instead of getting worse. Now, if you just think you can make it on your own, just do whatever you want to do, it's not going to work. Then John reminds us that ultimate trans transformation comes when we're face-to-face -face with God himself, with Jesus him himself. That's our hope. And so I leave you where we started. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love, how much God loved us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are in spite of all of our shortcomings and weaknesses. Let's pray together. Father, I know you're here today and I thank you. We, we honor you, we rejoice. We worship because we belong to you. Give us that assurance. Help us to understand that we can't do this Christian life thing on our own. We can only do it with you and with others who are part of the family. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.